Welcome back to Principles in Practice. I'm Chris Heslip, and today it's a pleasure to welcome Judy West to our show. Judy serves as the Leadership Development Pastor for The Crossing, a 20,000-person church that has over four campuses and 140 staff and a large online presence. Judy also takes great joy as the lead of WXP, an international women's executive pastor group. She's married to Steve and his two grown children, Jordan and Anna. At The Crossing, Judy West and her team have taken a unique approach to formalize their management training. Seriously, I've never seen anything like this. And in this interview, Judy's going to break down her approach and share the details of how they put this principle into practice. Keep listening as we hear from Judy on the importance of role-playing in today's world. She breaks down the reasons behind this method and how it can help you. We also cover best practices for creating a thorough onboarding experience that helps outside hires understand your organizational culture. So on to the show. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of These Principles in Practice. This week, we are joined by a very special guest. I want to welcome Judy West to the show. Welcome, Judy. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I cannot, I've been waiting for weeks for this. I'm so excited, Chris. Absolutely. Well, as we started building out Leader and I said, hey, we've got to connect with some of the the people who are doing this in real life, and I wanted to learn about leadership development, we connected and I was just blown away by hearing some of the approaches that you've put together for the crossing. And so I'm really looking forward to exploring some of the approaches that you've put put in, in place. Like, I can't wait when you and I've talked over the last few months and years, like I, I can't wait to talk to for you to ask questions and for me to fire back. So thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about how you came uh, to be working at The Crossing. Well, we moved here. I'm a Philadelphia girl, Pennsylvania girl. We moved here to St. Louis in 94. And by the time we got here, people would describe me as a mixture of an atheist, agnostic, feminist, like you name it. I was a card-carrying member of the National Organization for Women, (laughs) anti-God, anti-everything. But I was six months pregnant and started asking the big life questions like, I don't have a faith. What would I tell a kid about faith? And that's when a neighbor invited me to this brand new little itty bitty startup church at that point called Windsor Crossing Community Church. And I went, I was so lonely. I was a thousand miles from home, pregnant. My husband was working 90 hours a week. I was by myself and I went and it was the first time I met a church where people were nice. I saw fun, dynamic, nice Christ followers. And that's what then led me to keep coming back to investigate the evidence because I had no idea there was evidence for Jesus. So yeah, so that's what started. And then it within eight months, eight or nine months, within a year, I gave my life to Christ. And then let me see, that was in 95 and 97, that neighbor, his, her husband actually took over as lead pastor. And I became the guinea pig. He would call me and say, meet me on the driveway. And I became his guinea pig for messages, for leadership and everything. And then a year later, he invited me on staff. So I'd only been a believer for a few years and he invited me on staff. So that's my crazy story. What was your background before you joined uh, the team? So I was a competitive distance runner and all through um, high school and college and then coached. But I had my undergrad in sociology, my master's in education and counseling. And then I also, before we moved here, I was an elementary school guidance counselor. So I had a history of the coaching, the counseling, stuff like that. So when I came to Christ, then I was trying to figure out how to combine it with the faith element. That was fantastic. 
And so um, obviously today your title is, is Director of Leadership Development. Mm-hmm. Um, did you join in that role or is that something that evolved over time? So I was the seventh, we were a tiny church, maybe 150 to three, somewhere in there, 150 to 200 in there. And I was the seventh staff hire. And it was the first time Greg had the vision for a horizontal hire. You know, most churches are the, the, the vertical children, youth, musics, outreach, and stuff like that. I was the first lateral hire that came across with leadership development to tie ministries together. So what was great is we were so young at that point, I was able to mature with the church and grow with the church. So it was back then I was, you know, I could, I guess the easiest way to say it, I was, I could make mistakes and have grace to cover it. I still have grace to cover it, but it's way different from a church of 100 to now a church of 10,000 a weekend. That's really a huge difference. So I got to mature and grow with the church. I mean, uh, it's one of the questions I'd love to get to in a little bit, but how do you justify having a full-time role based on leadership development at, at seven staff? I mean, it's a question that I'm sure I think about and a lot of smaller organizations are thinking about is just how, how, how do you pay for that? How, how did you justify it? How did it come about? Uh-huh. Well, I think that's Greg's wisdom. When you have a leadership, a, pa- a senior pastor with a leadership gift, they automatically know everything rises and falls on leadership. So how do you get somebody on board that can be, that can wave the flag for that outside of the lead pastor, if the lead pastor has that gift? Um, but he knew he couldn't do it and teach and lead the whole time. So I had to be able to do it, be able to do it with the staff and all the volunteers. So he very early on somehow convinced the board to carve out a staff position for me. Not only a new believer, I'd only been a believer for three years, but also at this tiny little church. And it was all his vision. He said, somebody has to own the, and wave the flag for this because it's going to be instrumental in helping us grow. So at that size, uh, what were some of the things that you took on in terms of, you know, at seven people and then how has that changed as you've scaled? So one of the things I learned really early on is that whether it's kids, youth, music, whatever, they're so, there's the tyranny of the urgent. They have to focus on the weekend or the midweek service, whatever it is. They're so focused on accomplishing the task and skill development. They don't have time for the important, the, the, big overarching themes. What are your spiritual gifts? What are your spiritual pathways? All of those, the heart issues, they didn't have time to focus on that because they were just trying to get the music charts out to everybody. So I came on and said, let me be responsible for that. Let me help develop the staff and put processes in place for volunteers so you can focus on skill development and implementation of the actual and execution of the actual program. Fantastic. And so early on, it was around obviously working with the staff, developing them, the volunteers, you know, and developing them. What else was involved in the early days? So one of the the first things I do, I knew we needed a leadership class. So I wrote a nine month program called Leadership U. It met once a month. And it was just that, how to do a spiritual gift, a holistic spiritual gift assessment, how to do spiritual pathways analysis, temperament analysis, what are the basic leadership one-on-one skills, how to run a meeting, how to have hard conversations, all of those basic things. So I developed that Leadership U class. One of my big leadership mistakes, though, the first year, I only invited in like corporate CEOs and stuff, and it tanked, tanked until I realized the church was built off the 12 disciples, you know, fishermen, tax collectors. So I revamped the whole thing and then went after lay leaders. 
and stay-at-home moms and grocery store clerks and school bus mm-hmm. drivers and stuff like that and the average lay person and that's when it began to flourish now it was mandated for all staff to go through but how do i get your average lay person because that's who leads the church that's who runs the church um, into positions where they knew basic leadership 101 principles and knew how they were wired to impact the kingdom Wow. So, so let's jump into that. Tell us a little bit about the, the nine month program. You, did you write it? Did you, you know, get it from reading books? How did you put it all together? Um, through most of my leadership is through scars and wounds. <laughs> you want a whole episode on all the lessons learned and I have scars all over my body for doing it wrong. Um, but it just turned out the first, let me see, September, October, November, it's all the internal stuff looking in. What are my, what's a spiritual gift? What are my spiritual gifts? What's my spiritual pathway? Everything I just talked about. How's the Lord wired me to connect with him? Then the second half of the year is all skill development. So it is, we lead, um, the first half of the year, we read the oldie, tiny, tiny book, Leroy Imes book, Be the Leader You Were Meant to Be. And then the second half is Maxwell's The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. We do that two months, but then we do stuff like, um, I have a whole class where we present them with real live scenarios that have happened at the crossing and they have to role play. So um, you're standing at the kid's check-in desk with another volunteer and the volunteer says, Hey, I just met somebody on eHarmony. We're going away and sleeping together this weekend. I just met him yesterday. What do you say? And the answer cannot be, I'm going to run to Judy and tattletale. Like, how do you even engage in a conversation? And it can be funny. It doesn't have to be serious, but how do you engage in that moment? Cause the Lord put you there to hear that nobody else. So part of it is tra- it's a, it's disciple making and it's a discipleship process where they learn how to have basic entry level conversations. Um, so it's a bunch of stuff like that, but it's nine months, once a month. Um, and it's called leadership you. And at the end, they kind of know about themselves and how they were wired to serve in the church. Uh, I have so many questions. So um, <clears throat> talking about the book part. So we, we read a book like in, in the whole theme of this podcast is about, you know, taking, you know, the principles uh, and then kind of trying to get down, you know, a couple of layers deeper into like, how do you do that? So talking about the books, you obviously selected the books. So we read through it together. Is it a chapter a week? And then is there assignments, just the basic stuff? How do you do that? So, um, okay. So January and February are unpacking the January is the first 11 laws of Maxwell. And then February is the last half of the book. But what I do then is we made a, a, a handout thingy. And so his law of the inner circle, we, I literally have them do an exercise then to figure out who's in their inner circle and how your inner circle defines your ability to influence. So does that make sense? So sometimes I'm up teaching and other times they're talking at their tables, but it just can't be a head game. They have to apply it real time, real life with real situations. Does that make so sense? So we get the, the staff members together, uh, all, the, all the volunteers in this case, uh-huh. and, and they sit around and we say, hey, you, you read the book at home, you come to the class, you would yes. give a, hey, here's a 20 minute, 30 minute kind of talk. And then it's like, all right, let's sit down and fill in a worksheet and kind of say, you know. Sometimes it's not even a 20, 30 minute talk. I'll say, okay, everybody, you read the first 11 chapters of Leroy Imes, flip to page one, da, 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 law of the influence. Who's the most influential people in your life? Why? List characteristics. So it's really fast paced. And then, okay, the next law, talk at your table. 
Um, a lot of the buy-in. When's the time you had to get buy-in? Law of the navigation. You know, I just, so a lot of it's really fast paced and I'm making them think quickly on their feet. So the book has to be read ahead of time, but the processing is in real time, seeing how they're processing information. And by the way, side note, one of the reasons why we have this class is because you know this, uh, most staff members, sometimes the best staff members are raised up from volunteers. So I'm watching the whole time who's done their homework, who's coming prepared, who's asking good questions, who's listening well, who's engaged. And like, I'll be able to, at the end of nine months go, wow, I'm really impressed with that person. Um, they could be a potential staff member down the road. Okay. So there's, so there's the books. Um, there's also the leadership pipeline, which comes from that, which I, I love. And then there's the role plays. Uh, did you always do role plays? How did you come up with the idea to do role plays? Well, um, when I was getting my master's in education, they made us do it and they videotaped us doing it and then would critique us. <laughs> and it was the most painful thing ever, but it was the most helpful thing ever. You can bluff your way through anything. Interviews, you can bluff your way through anything. But when somebody makes you role play, it puts you on the spot. It makes you think in real time. And what we have found here is we would rather have, especially staff, feel really uncomfortable in a role play than be out after service on a weekend and get caught. Literally, I'm not kidding, with their pants down around their ankles without having to know how to answer something. So we would rather spend hours role playing than, than putting a staff member, especially a pastor, in a position of failure. So that's why I think role playing has become really important in our culture. No one likes it. It's really hard, but it, but we have found it sets, it sets us up for success. It really does. Well, I think one of the reasons it works too, because I think, um, especially if I'm new to a role, I don't have confidence. And so by doing the role play, I know, look, these are the types of things that I'm going to encounter. And then by role playing them, I feel like actually when I get into a situation, I I'm going to know what to say. And because of that, I'm going to feel more confident. And then the other person on the other end of it is, is saying, wow, like yeah. Chris actually knows what he's talking about because he sounds confident. And so it's as Preach much, it. it's, it's a key part of that as well, right? You said it way better than me. You're exactly right. <laughs> the reason, yeah, that's that you're exactly right. So they can walk into that com conversation with humble confidence and say, okay, at least I've role played this and I can come across with a confidence in me um, to be able to answer it. Yep. Okay, so let, let's, let's kind of make this really practical. Um, so we'll, let's do a role play here. And let's say the situation is um, that, that I'm a, a campus pastor and I've found, you know, someone is gossiping or uh, they're speaking bad about someone else on my team, which is, you know, obviously something that happens all the time, you know, and ho hopefully not in our organizations, but just people come across it frequently. Um, and so, you know, how do we role play this out? So I'm, I'm trying to deal with the situation so you're going to pretend to be the uh, the person I'm speaking with? Okay, ready? You want to do it with me? Why don't yep. you pretend like you're a staff member and you just had a really hard conversation and you're coming to me and you're starting to gossip. Go ahead, do it with me. Okay. Uh, oh, Judy, I, I just met with my boss and, um, you know, he he's just completely unfair. He's just doing all of these really bad things. I just, I can't believe how unfairly he's treating me. Okay, hold, Chris, can I stop you right there? Yeah. Okay, first of all, it sounds like something just happened between you and your boss. Were you able to share that with your boss? I didn't know. What stopped you from sharing 
Because right now you're sharing a lot of emotion with me. What stopped you from sharing that with him? I felt like uh, I was afraid that he would he would be upset if I shared that with him. Okay. Has there been an instance in the past where that did happen, where he got upset with you sharing something with him? No, actually, he's been pretty fair, but I felt like, you know, I was pretty upset about this particular case. Okay. Okay. Well, so what I think, seeing that you have the past with it going okay, what I would challenge you to do, because I don't want to talk behind his back. Okay. That's not going to help the situation. I would love for you to come up for air and pray, but then why don't you go back and share with him what's on your heart? Do you feel comfortable doing that before you and I talk any further? Well, it would be, it would be a big step, but I mean, I probably should, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's going to be really important. You go back to him first, because that's the safest thing to do. Now, if you want to, if now somebody gets stuck right there. So if it's a new staff member, um, because most veteran staff members have been through this, they've role play right then. If it is, I'll say, do you want to role play with me? Well, wow, you would offer to the, to the staff or to role play. Yeah, if it's a new staff member that's brand new to this and they don't know how to do it, veterans know how to do this. Yes. They're just chickening out. And that's why we stop, hold, stop, 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 stop. Talking to me won't help. You know what you need to do. So let's head back. With a new staff member, I might have to then go into role playing. So it could be, hey, Greg's my boss. Hey, Greg, when you have a free minute, can we talk? I was left really unsettled from that last meeting. And I want to make sure you and I are okay with each other. So do you have a few minutes whenever you're free? Could you come find me? Because I don't want to write stories in my head. Wow. This is this is quite amazing. I mean, um, actually on our podcast last week, we had Brian Miles and he was talking about how they had Patrick Lencioni, one of the consultants come in and talk about, yeah. you know, the conflict, how to build conflict norms in the organization. And I mean, I'd never thought about doing a role play like this where you try and help people deal with their conflict because so much probably goes just skates by. And if you just tolerate it as the, as the leader, then you shouldn't be surprised when that grows in your organization. So what I love about this is you're trying to stop it right there and then and build this really healthy organization. Well, I'll tell you this, it has to start with the lead pastor and it helps that our lead pastor has his master's in counseling because he, emotional and spiritual health, relational health, it doesn't matter how much the Bible you know. If you're not emotionally and spiritually and relationally healthy, the congregation will sniff it out. But even to this day, even to this day, if somebody walks up to him and says something like, my child had a horrible time and kids crossing, blah, blah, blah. He'll stop them and go, stop. I need to stop you right there. Have you talked to them? Because you need to go to them first. Our lead pastor does that. Wow. So if the lead pastor isn't, if the lead pastor stops and says, oh, tell me everything. Yes, I want to know. You've <laughs> just created a culture of gossip. And so we, we are, we know we have to stop people. Hold on, hold on, stop, stop, stop. You know, let's do this in a way that honors God. Um, But it starts at the top. It has to start at the top. And how did you build out the, the, the framework for this? Is it around core values? Like obviously things like gossip would be character issues. So I'm sure there's that, but is there a specific framework of things that you would, you know, coach people on? I think you and I talked about this in the past, and I think it sent it to you years ago, probably 15 so years ago. We wrote a five, five week class called Body Life, and it's all what we're talking about right now. So it's conflict resolution, boundaries, a ton of role playing. The whole thing is about being a healthy culture. So when Jesus prays, Father, may they be one as you and I are one because the watching world is watching. We teach that. So thousands of people have been through it. 
one class alone is all on conflict resolution and we teach them language that preserves community. So, hey, um, Chris, do I have permission to ask you, when we started the podcast, da, 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 da. So we're teaching them, do I have permission to push back on you? Do you have a minute for us to talk? I don't want to write stories. So we teach our entire congregation that language, not just our staff. And you can tell within seconds when you get an email or when somebody walks up to you, you can tell within seconds if they've taken body life um, and who hasn't because it's so just about, part of our culture. Let's talk about body life. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's five week uh, course. Is that right? Five different mm-hmm. sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, take us through how you came up with that. Where does it fit into the overarching, you know, leadership development framework that you have? So what we realized early on, which we're like most churches, I'm sure we have people coming from unchurched, not totally overchurched, you know, you name it, Presbyterian, Catholic, Muslim, you name it, it's coming through our doors. And we realized that we need, we call them vision venues, where people have to get on the same page. So we have a six-week class called Explorations, which I would call Theology 101. It's just basic things about the Bible. Who is Jesus? That's one vision venue. That's six weeks. Vision Dinner is one night. And that's all the history of the crossing. You get to ask whatever you want to. How is this church governed? What's the accountability? What do you believe about communion, baptism? It doesn't matter. They can ask whatever they want. Then body life is the third. So so explorations is theology 101. Vision dinner is vision 101. And then body life is community 101. So it's all how do we do life together in a way that honors God and honors each other. So in essence, it's really what, 10, 12 weeks <laughs> when you add all those together. It's, it's kind of like a 12-week membership class, yes. but we're, it's broken up. Um, and by the time, those are the three vision venues we ask everybody to go through. So they all learn about this, the theology, the vision of the church, and then how to live well together. And I mean, that seems, I mean, another word for this culture, right? The the body life part is like how we operate as how we operate as a team. Totally but culture. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so talk to me about that one. What are some of the topics you cover? Um, and then, you know, again, how do you facilitate those? Because it's an in-person or it was an in-person meeting prior to COVID, right? So believe it or not, we have a ton of churches take our online version Everything we do, take it and steal it and change it to your culture. We don't care. So people can go to our website, thecrossing.church, and sign up. And I highly encourage people to do it. Um, We have pastors and other churches go through it multiple times and take their teams through it because it's so integral for emotional and spiritual health and for staff culture especially. So, yep, there's five classes. The first class is all on the importance of unity in the church. Jesus's prayer. The second class is, okay, we're supposed to be unified, but we're different. And that's when spiritual gifts are taught. Then, okay, so we we're unified, but we're different. What happens when we, how important are boundaries? There's a whole class on boundaries. And then, okay, if we have boundaries, then the fourth class is conflict. What happens when you have conflict? That's when we do a ton of role-playing, Matthew 18. And then the fifth class is everything from what does forgiveness look like when we step on each other's toes? What does it look like when we're all to bring our gifts together? So of that big glass class is how are we all treating each other well? How are we all equal at the foot of the cross? So it's to, it's it's piggybacked. Both ends of the bookmarks are heart moments with then how it's played out in very practical ways the rest of the class. 
I love that. And that, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a video then with a group discussion, right? Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. So now on zoom, y'all watch a video together, video teach, and then your moderator takes you through all of that, the role playing and the questions and all that. Yep. How have you found, like, just as an aside, how have you found it works over zoom? Is it as good or not quite as good as the in-person meetings? Good question. <laughs> Our Zoom facilitators, some of them like it better because you see faces. You know, you see this up close and personal. You see people react. Others prefer the in-person. So, you know, anything with Zoom. Some people love it. Some people hate it. A lot of how you function well and learn. So we're still doing it because we have to. Yeah. The... the, um how do you respond to people who say, you know, 12 weeks, uh, my people would never go through 12 weeks of, of, of this type of thing. It's too much, you know, can we just cut it down to four weeks? I mean, you know, well, it seems like 12 weeks is a lot. How do you, how do you answer that question? Well, yes. And that's why <laughs> it's, it's five, it's one and it's six. It's not 12 weeks for that very reason. You just nailed it on the head. In our this day and age, people won't sign up for a 12 week something, something. So that's why we intentionally did short, ver- short bursts. And yeah. just so you know, even if people, when we're meeting in person, if we can't, we've tried providing childcare, we can't. But what we'll say is this is so important. Don't tithe, don't give, don't do anything. We'd rather have you pay for a babysitter and go through body life. That's way more. Don't tithe for a year, pay a babysitter to go through body life. That's way more important. Wow. Wow. This is, uh, I'm, uh, I feel like I've taken a lot of notes here. This is, there's a lot to work on, you know, even in our organization, I feel like we've got a lot of things that we're doing right, but you know, there's still a lot, you know, to really internalize the behaviors from great ideas that exist out here to how we all operate and having an agreed kind of set of principles that we operate on. Because mm-hmm. when you do that, you build trust, which means we can all work much faster together. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and it does help. I just want to reiterate, though, it helps when your lead pastor has his master's in counseling. I have my master's in education and counseling. Our other senior level pastor has his master's in counseling. And the fourth one, his wife is a counselor. <laughs> so that always helps when the, the top of the org chart is all about emotional health. It's, yes. it's the, it is the bell we ring constantly. So that helps. That helps. So let's change gears a little bit and talk about your staff because I, I, you know, I feel like you've got this approach for your leaders and it's like, yeah, I, I got that. That makes sense. But then, and you obviously hire from, you know, this leadership development pipeline that you've built. But then what I was fascinated by was that once someone comes through this, you know, kind of 12 week process, then they're eligible to be hired onto staff. And then they go through another quite comprehensive onboarding. Would you kind of share that with us? Well, and lot, just so you know, lots of times when we do ha- hire external, um, we have to make sure they get through those vision venues fairly quickly because there's nothing worse. You know this. There's nothing worse than hiring a staff member that doesn't get your culture. They think they do. So we try to get them through that as quickly as possible. But I bet probably, Chris, maybe five years ago, we started a thorough comprehensive onboarding process because what we realized people were coming in, starting then in their silo and never getting out of the silo. And so we hired them to be a, a thumb on the hand, kids ministry, but they saw that body part. They saw the hand, but they didn't see the rest of the body. 
So now let me start with the pastors because that's the most comprehensive. When a pastor gets hired, they go on an on, it's almost three weeks of onboarding. They are doing everything in the church. They're, they're shadowing the facility guys on the weekend, facility guys and gals. They're, they have headsets on doing the video camera. They're in kids crossing. They're in youth crossing. They're, you name it. They're every, they're in the bookstore. They're, they, they meet, it's, something like 40 to 50 staff. They sit down and have an hour-long conversation. They hear the history of that department. They hear the war wounds of that department. They get to meet the staff. So it's it's an eight-hour a day, <laughs> three-week comprehensive process. But we then start doing it for all staff. So I just met, I don't know if you're going to get to the management training program in a second, but we have a facility guy who I'm in, who's a new manager. And he told me on Thursday that his orientation was one of the coolest things he'd ever been through. His was at least two weeks. He knows almost every staff member, every campus, every department. And it's just, it's a, it, it just provides unity. And so by the time they get through orientation, they know the whole body. They might not fully get it, but they understand that the body works together as one. They weren't hired just as a thumb. They were hired as a thumb that fits under the hand, which fits on the arm, which fits into the whole body. That's that's fantastic. How is there anyone they don't meet with? I mean, is they literally meet with like every major department? Yeah, there's somebody represented from every single department. So they get it all. Operations, they get the whole ball of wax. Finances, they get it all. So yeah, they meet with somebody representing premarital, marriage, you know, grief share. They they should know a little bit about everything by the time they're through. And what about you know some of the. Uh, I'm going to use the term to try and use it as, as descriptive as I can, but like the lower end roles, you know, what would you say to someone who say, well, you know, we're just hiring someone, you know, to be a junior facilities person. Do we really need to put them through this three week program? They have the keys to everything. The facility people have the keys to everything. Sometimes they know more information and see more information than a mid-level manager. So that's what we just realized was because at first we're like, they don't need it. Holy cow, do they need it? And they even need little things like how to interact with pastors on a weekend. We had a situation where a facility guy kept coming up and interrupting pastoral conversations. And we realized he hadn't been through orientation even to know, oh, let us tell you how weekends work. So stuff like that, we didn't, we just realized it's really important for every staff member to know how we function, not just certain levels. Well, and even, you know, for us, it's like, you know, if you think about the more junior staff, they're the ones interacting with customers the most. And so to your point, you know, we think the junior staff mean, but well, like they don't need this, but actually, as you say, they need it, you know, more than some of the other folks who aren't even customer facing. Right. And it was really funny. I was in a meeting the other day with a few people and I'm like, it was a facility guy and a children's person, an operations person. And they were talking like they knew each other. And I'm like, how do you guys know each other? And they go, oh, we went through orientation together. We can tell you each other's testimonies. We can tell you about each other's families. I was like, this is the coolest thing. Isn't that awesome? So they have this little relationship because they went to orientation together for two weeks, eight hours a day. (laughs) You know, it's just really cool. And it prevents them looking down. Oh, well, I'm on this team and you're over there on that team. And, you know, I'm in the more important team because we're all in it together. And the right. person's having to do all those different roles. Now they have a really high degree of empathy yeah. for people doing different roles, right? Well, they're fellow Jesus followers, not positions on an org chart. 
they're, you know, they're fulfilling their calling, their position, and they're equal at the foot of the cross. And that's what they get at the end of that process. And do you have stories about people who have come in and started in junior roles and then kind of growing into, you know, uh, you know, leadership roles, leading potentially dozens of people? Probably 99% of our staff. Yeah. A lot of them have come in and just grown and grown and grown. Our director of operations now came in as, I'm going to be silly, as a bean counter. And now she is our entire director of operations. I mean, she's running half of the church. So it's really fun watching people grow into new roles. Fantastic. Well, let's jump into the Go Lead Manual. And so one of the ways that you develop leaders is through, you know, obviously the Go Lead Manual. What, again, what place does that play in the overarching leadership development framework? Okay. So a group of us, I wrote this thing, Go Lead, Managing Employees at the Crossing. Um, A number of years ago, I was trying to figure out what was going on. I always tell people every day I do the three C's, coaching, consulting, and counseling. And I, I joke that I'm paid to keep my ear to the ground to hear what the staff needs. Like, what are the needs? What are they wrestling with right now? Well, what I realized was, you know, unity is really important to us. And there was a disunity going on. And it was happening at the managerial level because you had Joey Blow, who's a people animal, and he was taking his direct reports on field trips, and they were having parties. And then you have another manager that barely talked to his people and did an annual review. And what was happening, it was causing division among staff, and they were starting to get jealous. Well, your, your manager is doing this for you. Mine that barely speaks to me. And so we said, okay, as, as leadership of the church, What are we expecting of our managers? Because we have to clearly articulate the expectations or we're setting everybody up for failure. So wrote this go lead manual. I think you guys are going to post it. Please, anybody can take it and steal it. It boiled down to three things. We are paying our managers, number one, to oversee their employees' job descriptions. Do they know what their employee is doing? Number two, they're responsible for the heart check. They, they have, we don't know what's going on. If Joey Blow's going in for a heart procedure, they need to know that. Yes. And then the third one is leadership development. They don't have to be responsible for the leadership development of their employee, but they have to make sure their employee is doing something. It could be podcasts. I don't care what it is. Watch a documentary on Netflix. Um, but are, they have to be responsible. Is their direct report doing something to lift their lid? Does that make sense? And then this whole book fleshes all of that out. So it sets up things like we expect you to meet with your team twice a month. We expect you to touch base with your direct reports, each one once a week. So it lays out very concrete things. So it's measurable and everybody's on the same playing field. I I, I love this because it codifies the, I mean, we have five, um, we call them the five foundations at Leader, and, and it's pretty much the exact same thing. So it's uh, number one, every employee should have um, a one-to-one, uh, you know, at least, as you said, twice a month, we recommend, yeah, every two weeks. Number two, you know, you should have clear written down goals. Number three, you should have uh, and be receiving, you know, frequent feedback. Mm-hmm. Number four, uh, you should uh, know and understand, understand your strengths and obviously how to use them in your job. And number five, you should have some kind of career development plan, uh, yep. And obviously performance review that goes with that. And in your, in the manual, it really outlines how we do those things at the crossing and it explains to managers, okay, this is how you're going to do these things here, which I think is 
even another step forwards, it's not just you're going to have a one-to-one. It's like, here's how to have a one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had asked me earlier uh, in an email, how do I know it's successful? Because it's really easy to think it's successful. So when you emailed me that, I actually emailed all of our managers and said, what would you guys say? If Chris were interviewing you, how would you answer it? So can I read some of their answers? Please do. That would be phenomenal. Okay. So this is from somebody who's very in a department that's very task oriented and not to people oriented. And she said, I love it because um, it empowers employees. She was specifically speaking to page 17 of the book, Speak Truth to Me. What we do is minimum of once or twice a year, we have our empl- our direct reports fill these out, the Speak Truth to Me. What do you want me to keep doing, stop doing, start doing? And she said, it's so empowering for employees when their manager asks them to complete it and a great way for me as a manager to learn what's working, what's not, and what my employees would like me to start doing. And I always learn something every time. One of the biggest things about this is most times direct reports are afraid to speak truth to their manager. We just role play it. And so this form, something basic, gives the employee permission to speak truth to uh, a supervisor. We have a pastor that's a manager and he says, managing is new to me. By the way, I've been doing a study on this. I would say at least 95% of staff members at churches have never, ever been in a management position before. I just started a new manager training program and there are three people in this one, two in their fifties, one in the thirties. And I said to them, they've, they've overseen hundreds of volunteers. And I said, tell me a time when you had to manage somebody with a paycheck. I counted their ages. They have 150 years of experience of employment, of volunteers, never, ever, ever managed anybody with a paycheck. So you have somebody like this pastor who's saying, I, I didn't sign up to be a manager. I signed up to, to, to be a leader and a teacher specifically and a pastor. And he says this, the go lead manual makes it very clear to me what's expected of me. And then how do I, how do I measure success? It makes it very concrete for somebody like me that needs concrete. Um, and then my final one is a 33 year old that said the manual is not a stale list of bench uh, performance benchmarks. It feels like a pep talk from a coach. And he says that the content equips me and keeps expectations clear. But the way it's written gives me a big dose of vision and language that can just be as helpful because we try to write it in a humorous way, too. But those are just some people that are going, I need this. I needed a template because no one ever trained me how to manage with a paycheck, a bunch of paychecks. So this is that answer some of it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, let's just like if we look at the, um, the the meeting section here. Uh, you know, we've got a framework, obviously, when you should meet, even suggested the first and the third Wednesdays of Wednesdays. the month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, we've got the annual reviews. And then, uh, you know, obviously, the, the uh, supervisory check in. So how do you how do you know people are, are following this? I mean, we don't want to create a kind of a, a nanny state where everyone's checking in every five minutes. But also, if, if, if we're going to this extreme of doing uh, role plays, then we must have some way or do you, do you use tools to you know, manage the one-to-ones, like what, what's the, the drill down on, you know, okay, we've got this idea, we've got the book uh, that we've given to people, mm-hmm. they've got the framework, then how do we kind of circle back to make sure that people are following through with it? 
So once a month, I host managers meetings. And this is what we do. We, re we review the basic essentials. And that's where it is. I break them into small groups, talk about what's working as a manager, what's not. So there's a constant check in there. But when they go through orientation and they get to one of the stations of orientation, they are told, and brand new employee is told, you need to read this thing entirely from start to finish. It is your responsibility to speak up if your manager is not living this out. So I'll role play with you. Like, you know, hey, Chris, I read and go lead that we're supposed to have team meetings twice a month. I don't think we're doing that. Is something going on? Is there a reason that's preventing us from having those meetings? And it could be something like, yeah, COVID's going on. And I don't, you know, so there could be a legit, you know, real practical reason. But they are then told if things don't change, they are then to go back, hey, Chris, it's still not happening. So you and I now need to go up one level and pull somebody in because my heart's going south here and we need to get this fixed. So you want to go with me because I now need to go to your supervisor so they can help us troubleshoot this. Has it happened so, before? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Can and, you tell us a time without, you know, Maybe, maybe you can generalize it. Like what happened when the person came up? What was the excuses that the manager was using and what happened? So we've had this happen a number of times. And it is that we put somebody in a managerial position that just can't manage. And we're setting them up for, for failure in their direct reports. So recently there were two people in the last six months where we've had, we've set up a performance review plan and they just couldn't do it. So we had to take away their direct reports. And by the time we got there, they knew it. Yes. They knew it. They're probably asking um, you. They're probably saying, yes. Can you, this is yes. not a good fit for me either. Correct. Correct. So part of it is getting them aware of, okay, we saw management potential in you, but if it's not working um, nowadays, the big thing, you know, with COVID is just, we have so many of our staff are home educators still. So yes. it's trying to get them to set up time. You still have to touch base with your direct reports, no matter what, even if it's Zoom for five minutes or yes. phone for five minutes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, let's keep going uh, just through the book here. Another one is decisions. You know, you've got a very clear framework here. If someone doesn't make a decision within a particular time, what happens? Yeah, same thing. Um, they're supposed to be able, if you go to your supervisor and ask for a decision and they don't get it back within 48 hours, you're supposed to then go back and say, okay, it's been 48 hours. There's two things you can do. The first thing you can do is say, if I don't get an answer from you by today at five o'clock, this is what I'm going to do. Okay. So you can say, I've tried two or three times. You didn't give me an answer. So I'm making the decision independent of you. If you don't feel like you have the authority, that's when you say, Hey, Chris, if I don't hear from you by five o'clock, I'm going to go to your supervisor because I really need this approved by five o'clock. We're under a deadline. I recommend it's in writing. It's in text. It's something. So you can go back and say, no, 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 no. I put it in writing. And this was the boundary and the repercussion if it didn't happen. The consequence. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Okay. Another one is the time study. I mean, I, uh, I myself, I love to do these, you know, to figure out, okay, where is my time going? Um, this is another key part of the manual, you know, uh, what is a time study? How did you come up with it? And, and, you know, why do you include it here? Okay. <laughs> Good question. How much time do you have? Um, what I'll tell you a story. And then <laughs> years Please. ago, we had, we had an employee that would come into my office and go, Oh my gosh, 
I'm so tired and I'm working a billion hours. And I kept thinking, you are like, what are you doing? And I couldn't figure out where his hours were going. Cause I, I was his supervisor. I knew it was on his job description. So I had him do a two week time study. And what I do with my people is I have them do it from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to bed. Cause I'm looking for how they steward their time. Um, are they taking care of themselves? Are they spending quiet time with God? But then when they're in the heat of the work day, what are they doing with their hours? And they can't just say emails. No, what emails? What were you answering emails about? A phone call. What was the phone call? So I had him do it for two weeks and then they have to tally. And it came back that he was working 20 hours a week. Okay. And I'm like, okay, this can't be right. And so I had him do another two week time study. So he now he has four weeks of time studies. It was 22 hours. So I had to go back and say, okay, talk me through this. You say you're overworked, but we now have four weeks of time studies and you are producing for us 20 to 22 hours of work a week. What's going on? Well, what we realized was because of past trauma, he couldn't shut his brain off. So he was taking stuff home and playing it for hours and counting that as work. And so we had to send him to counseling. And finally, what we said was, I'm sorry, we, we have to. People tithe our paychecks. And so we said, we'll pay you 20 hours, but no benefits and stuff like that. If you're only working 24 hours for us, we're only paying you 20 hours. And he ended up rotating off staff because we just can't pay hours that you're just going home and perseverating and going over things in your mind. Um, other reasons why we will give somebody a time study if we feel like something's off or we need evidence of why we need to make another hire. So lots of times it's proof that this individual cannot put any more hours. They're putting in a full work week and we have to hire another thing. So it's great empirical evidence for why we need to budget for another hire. This is fantastic. Um, Judy, I have one more before we get to the quick fire round, which is goal setting. And, and you touched on a little bit there. You know, I've, I've met with a lot of churches um, and businesses and, you know, one of the hesitations, especially in, in the church world for setting goals, is if I set goals and the employee misses it, then I actually have to do something about it. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of churches just say, well, let's just not have goals because then I don't have to deal with the performance issues if something comes up that I don't like. Um, how do you set goals and, and, you know, how do you engage? I mean, obviously you're doing role plays, so clearly you're engaging in conflict, but um, I, I, you know, one of the things that millennials want is they want a really clear understanding of when they go home at the end of the day, whether they were winning or not. Right. And I think most right. people do, but millennials especially want to understand, uh, whether they're winning. And I think, uh, if we don't have goals then it's easy to feel like you're winning or easy to feel like you're losing because it's very subjective. So mm -hmm. talk to us about how you do that. And, and, you know, some of the learnings from doing clear goal setting. Well, as a competitive distance runner, Short-term goals that can be accomplished are crucial for me. Please don't give me a goal five years from now. I'm not, I don't care. I'm not going to aim for it. Life will change. Give me something short, immediate, quick that I see results with. So oftentimes what I've found in senior level leadership in churches, we don't need goal setting. We're accomplishing stuff. Our checklists are so huge. We're getting through it. Lots of times that piece of paper in there, the goal setting is for people lower on the organizational chart because they don't see their worth and value. So lots of times I'll say to an, a manager, have them do it because they don't think they're bringing worth to the kingdom and they need to see it in black and white. Mm -hmm. 
They need to see they just did something that was huge. Now, it might not be what a senior level leader does, but what they're doing is of immeasurable worth. And they need to see that in black and white. So oftentimes that goal setting is for people lower on the organizational chart just so they can see success. That's that's fantastic. And I, there's nothing like having a to-do list and crossing things off and you feel like, wow, I'm actually succeeding. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You don't have to set goals for me. You know how many notebooks I have with lists in them? <laughs> yeah. Dude, let me just say this before we jump into the quickfire questions here. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about your culture is just the intentionality behind this, you know, and I think... Um, one of the mistakes we make as leaders is we say, look, I'm responsible for some outcomes, you know, and I think the the kind of mind shift that has to happen is really we're not, re- you know, responsible for outcomes. We're responsible for people who are responsible right. for outcomes. And I think when we start to think that through, our, our whole perspective can change. And that's what I love about the intentionality that you've brought to how do you work with with teams and with people because, you know, clearly you're equipping people for success and you understand this, that it's not just about, me creating another, you know, me working hard and me delivering some additional outcomes is how do I create a culture and, and you know, uh, help upskill people who ultimately are responsible for bringing those outcomes to, to being. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was, which, that was a lot. Which one do you want to speak, me to speak into? Cause I Any of go it, on please. I, well, it's, to me, it's the long game. I won't be in this role forever. And if I don't develop people, it, it's all for naught. So part of it is that coach in me that says, we have to develop the next generation. We have to develop the millennials and the, the generation behind them, especially when you're in the kingdom job, uh, working with and for God, because someday we're going to rotate out of these positions. And if you don't have that long end game, you're going to be the, the stuck point for the organization. So I think that's what keeps me going um, is knowing I have to raise up this next generation of leaders. And we as a church have to. It doesn't end all with us. We have to raise up that next generation. Is that what gets you out of bed in the morning? (sighs) Lots of stuff gets me out of bed in the morning. But yeah, I love this job. I love ministry because there's never a boring moment. There's never a boring day ever, 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 ever a boring day. So I love it. I um, Right now I get to do this. I get to oversee a women's executive pastor group in North America, which is a blast. I get to do that all the time. A lot of what we're doing right now I get to do. And it's such a blast because it's, this is personal for me. Like I found Jesus because somebody did this with me. So it's not theory for me. Um, Jesus is the hope of the world. And if, if we don't do this, people like me aren't going to find him. So this is not theory for me. Well, and clearly what you're doing is working because the organization's gone from, you know, a few employees when you joined to what mm-hmm. are you at now? 120 staff or something like that? 140 or 50 staff. 140 now, yeah. staff, still growing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a, you know, in, 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 a, yeah, in, in a few years, I mean, that's really, you know, something, I mean, to, to any organization that manages that many people mm-hmm. is, is doing something right. And so uh, full credit well, to you for what you put in place to, to grow staff. Well, and as I said, even with the Go Lead Manual, I'm not kidding you. Um, most of it was birthed out of tears and scars. So please don't think the crossing is perfect. Please don't think Judy West is perfect. I have scars everywhere. And, you know, sometimes God does his best when we're hurting the most. And this was birthed out of pain and scars. 
And that's why I think God is honoring that. It's because we're not acting like we have our act together. Every day we're clinging to him going, God, help us. So, yeah. I love it. Well, let's jump into the five quick fire questions we got here. So the first one is, aside from the Bible, what's the most impactful leadership book that you've ever read? Well, I'm a huge Henry Cloud junkie so with the Boundaries book, but Necessary Endings almost changed my life. Because I didn't think, especially as a Jesus follower, you were allowed to be that clear with ending something that was that unhealthy. So necessary endings is, is easily up in my top five. Leaders developing leaders, like true leaders are about developing other leaders. It's not just enough that you do your job. Your job is to actually develop people as a leader. Yeah, I was going to say that's half, really of my books on, that's half of my books on my bookshelf right there. I'm not is it sure really it see is. it grow? I don't know that book. Okay. But okay, another one. huge one, if you need another one, though, William Bridges, who I don't think is a believer, but wrote Managing Transitions. That's a huge one I recommend for all leaders because there's always so much transition and change going on. So that's, a, that's another one that was very instrumental for me. Love it. If you could only use one word to describe your leadership style, what would it be? Coach. Love How's it. That for one word, coach. Coaches. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. uh, Number three, what is your biggest distraction working from home? Well, the minute we opened our buildings back up, I did not run. I sprinted back to the building. So I am here in my office right now at church. Um, My problem with working at home is I never stop and I never come up for air and not good, not good. Because here at least you can have rhythms. People walk by when I was at home for all those weeks in quarantine, even the restroom was 10 feet from me. I couldn't get a break. And so I think that's the biggest thing. If we have to go into shutdown again, I got to do it differently. Working from home was really tough for me. I need to figure out a rhythm and breaks in the day. Mm. Okay. Number four, what is your biggest failure? Once again, how many hours do you have? (laughs) Um, Very early on. I was very much of a Saul to Paul conversion. I mean, it was huge for me. There was a before and an after. And then I came on staff and I completely left my husband in the dust. And it almost destroyed our marriage. And I found out even when he would come to church, they, people here didn't even call him Steve. They called him Judy's husband. He didn't even have a name. And it got so bad that, and we had a blow up. And I had to say to him, you are more important than this job and I will resign tomorrow. And it wasn't until I did this and I surrendered and said, you're my marriage and my husband are more important than a job. That's when the Lord started working. So my, I always tell people all the time, please don't ever, ever put your calling in front of a spouse or marriage. Please don't because it will bite you in the, in the butt. And that is not the way it's supposed to be. Wow, that's powerful. Uh, Last question, Judy, is tell us a time someone believed in you when maybe they shouldn't have. I have never been asked that question before. And I think that's probably the most brilliant leadership question I've ever (laughs) Like, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, I I can tell you, some people have said, you know, like, I think, I can think for me, you know, multiple times where people said, hey, we want to spend time with you. And I'm like, I don't know why you're doing this because I'm not... I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm a no one. Um, you know, we had uh, some guests share about times that senior pastors, you know, took them aside and, and really, you know, invested in them when things were going bad. And, you know, I think uh, one of the things that 
that I think a lot about is, and, and you've shared about this today, but I think as leaders, you know, what we remember many, many years from now is not the, you know, successes we had, the goals we hit, you know, all of that. What we remember is how people made us feel and specifically in times when we were not, you know, worthy of, of that, or we don't consider ourselves worthy of that. Mm-hmm. When someone comes along and says, Hey, Judy, I believe in you. And I really mm-hmm. think you've got a lot of potential. I mean, that's, that's the stuff that you remember for a very, very long time. Yeah. Well, and how you worded that question when somebody believed in you when they really shouldn't have early on as a young leader, I remember I wanted the strokes. I wanted the credit. I wanted to be put on a pedestal and you learn if you put yourself on a pedestal, you're going to fall off. And it's not going to be pretty, especially in the church. And so I find as I matured, I realized I can't put myself in a position because I'm as broken as they are. And I can't put myself in a position of failing them because if I do, there's a potential that it's not just they leave the church, they walk away from God. And so yesterday we were at service and a woman stayed after And she was just in tears. It was her first time ever walking through the doors of a crossing. First time. And she'd started watching online during COVID and shows up and she's a basket of tears. And I walk back and I kneel down next to her with my mask on and said, do you want to talk? And she proceeded just to weep and tell me my husband left me for a man, you know, he, this, and just started on and on the, oh, the lamenting and the grieving. And she said, not only that, but I've been really hurt by the church. And I didn't want to walk in today. And I say two things to everybody who says that you are the bravest person I know. And whatever you do, don't trust me. I am asking you, don't trust me. Don't trust us because we have to earn that trust. So just because you're in a church does not mean it's carte blanche. You have to trust us. Please allow us the privilege of earning that trust and you go at the pace that you want. So I say that because I have so taken myself off the pedestal. I can't be that woman's hero. Only Jesus can. You know, if I put myself in the position of being the fixer, I'm going to fail her and I'm going to fail myself and I'm going to fail the church. And most importantly, I'm going to fail God. So I I thought that was a really interesting question because I think that has come with maturity is and (laughs) nicks and wounds and scars um, that I, I can't put anybody in a position where they would then I would disappoint and then they would turn their back on God. Well, Judy, this has been absolutely fantastic. I want to say two things. Number one, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. And not just for the crossing, but, you know, for the church as a whole. I mean, the impact that you're making is absolutely phenomenal. And I just wish that the principles you're sharing, you know, were more broadly adopted. And and that's why we do what we're doing here is to try and get that out and share some of the amazing stuff you're doing. And the second thing I want to say is you should write a book because it would be a bestseller. Because this stuff, even for, I'm telling you, even for businesses, this stuff is, you know, you know, as much for businesses, this stuff is really, really applicable. And I think that uh, we all need to run organizations this way and take a lot of these ideas and really bring them, hey, it's great that we have values. It's great we have culture. It's great that we believe in character. But how do you do that on a daily basis? I think that gap between what we believe and what we actually do is, is a really big one. And what you're talking about is how to close that gap, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is, yep. is very, very rare so that people can actually live out what they, what they say they believe. 
Well, you're very sweet. That's very kind. I'm a horrible writer. So if you want to be my ghost writer, <laughs> you and I can just do interviews for the next couple of years. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we'll get, we'll get a hit of marketing director writer down. He, he's exactly. a good writer. <laughs> Well, well, thank, thank you, you for joining Chris. us today, Judy. It's, this has been an absolute pleasure and um, looking forward to talking again soon. All right. Well, we love you guys. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you next time on These Principles in Practice. Don't forget to check out the links in the description below for some free downloadable resources and to get more information about Judy and the Crossing Church. As mentioned in the interview with Judy, we will be including the Go Lead Manual, which they use themselves over at the Crossing Church. And while you're headed down there, feel free to hit that like button, share and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new content. We'll see you next time.